Society Global Talk on Education project, the project that is dedicated to education and the creative society. Today we're communicating with a very interesting person and I'm very happy to introduce him right away. Today we're communicating with Dr. Andrew Hargraves, international education thought leader. A few words about our guest. Dr. Hargraves is a research professor at Boston College Director of Shenin Change Engagement and Innovation in Education, University of Ottawa. Change Engagement and Innovation Education, a Canadian collaboratory, uh, Shenin is a national interdisciplinary Canadian centre with global impact and reach, conceived to create and to coordinate technological, pedagogical, curriculum and research infrastructure. Also. Uh, Dr. Hargreaves is the president and co-founder of the Atlantic Rim Collaboratory. This is a group of nine nations committed to broadly defined excellence, equity, well-being, inclusion, democracy, and human rights. Dr. Hargreaves, warm welcome on Alator TV. Hello, Constantine. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. Uh, for those who are watching us for the first time, just a couple of words about the international public movement Alatra. International Public Movement Alatra is an association of active, of active, honest, and friendly people who inspire to use their best human qualities for the benefit of the whole society. It's a new format of relationships regardless of nationalities, professions, social status, political, and religious views. So, we begin. Uh, Dr. Hargreaves, let me ask you the first question about the Creative Society. How do you envision the society where you, your loved ones, and all other people in the world would feel comfortable, happily, and safely. Share with us your opinion, uh, please. Uh, I envisage it in a way that a growing number of economists and also political leaders are starting to envision such a society. For 40 years or so, in economic life uh, and in educational life, we've been obsessed with growth. We've been obsessed with increasing uh, GDP, uh, with uh, thinking about how we tax income, not how we tax wealth. In education, we've been obsessed with performance numbers, with how our countries compare with other countries on metrics like PISA, for example. It's as if uh, more, is, more is always better. Quantity is the most important thing. And if we've thought about equity, we've thought about the gaps in achievement between uh, the, those, who, those groups who achieve more and those groups who achieve less. And in the last few years, there's been a growing number of economists, particularly female economists, who are saying now that actually not just austerity is a problem, which is uh, less money for public life, but, but growth is a problem too, thinking only about uh, GDP as the measure of who we are as a community and who we are as a society. So they are really now putting the emphasis on uh, quality of life. And uh, quality of life is uh, how we are as uh, individuals, how our well-being is, how our uh, physical, uh, emotional, um, uh, 
uh, even spiritual health is uh, as as people how we are as communities how peaceful and inclusive and equitable we are as uh, societies and uh, paradoxically what they find is that if you uh, really invest in a strong public sector that develops those values that also creates more jobs it it creates more spending capacity amongst the population creates more equity and and therefore uh, ironically it also improves growth as well so you get more growth by focusing on quality of life rather than trying to get quality of life by focusing on growth mhm very interesting fantastic uh dr hargreaves i have in this regard two more next question that i would like to address and i would like to start with this one from your point of view what are the most challenging challenges today of the system of education in the world and in canada please share with us your opinion uh there are the challenges we've had for some time that have been exaggerated by covid-19 and there are uh, there's particularly one that is in some ways new with with covid-19 i think the historic challenges we've had over the last uh, few years have been equity uh equity between different parts of the world equity uh within particular countries equity according to social class socioeconomics according to race and uh, other areas of uh, diversity and according to inclusion of uh, different kinds of uh, populations uh in immigrant groups uh, refugee groups uh in Canada ind- indigenous groups and so on so uh, equity remains a huge problem the world over the last 40 years has become less rather than more equitable the gaps between the extremely wealthy and uh, the uh, poor or or low income or even moderate income have increased and the resentments have increased increased uh, because of that amongst the population so i think when we see the rise of populism in uh, different uh, parts of the world with with strongman authoritarian uh, uh, charismatic uh, leaders who the public are drawn to they're drawn because they they think their education their opportunities their lives are really not enabling them even to be as uh, well off or fulfilled as their as their parents are so uh, equity has always been a problem uh, i think we've seen during covid-19 uh, it's even more of a problem who will suffer most other uh, racial minorities have suffered most the poorest suffer most uh, people in in less developed countries are will be the last to get the vaccine rather than rather than the first to to get the vaccine so um inequity is closely related to well-being to uh, mental health to uh, emotional health and uh, through covid-19 i think we've realized that actually uh well-being comes before achievement rather than achievement coming before well-being if uh, people are uh, uh, sick if they're uh, depressed if if they're not alive then then they're re- they're really not going to achieve so i think we've uh, in- increased the priority that we are now starting to think about and give to well-being i think we're more alert to the issues of uh, of of equity and i think in the next few years we'll see more governments paying attention to that and of course covid-19 i don't know if it has in your country or the countries listening has really exposed issues of the digital divide of access to of access to technology quality of technology uses of technology for a family 
families like mine, uh, my three grandchildren are all learning at home today, and uh, they do well. well. We are privileged. They're, my wife is a former school principal. She's supervising them. She can help them and support them. Uh, they're actually racing. They'll probably be racing ahead of, of some of the other children, uh, families like families like mine while others are falling behind so we really have to think hard about what the role of technology is in relation to creativity quality of life and uh, and equity and this doesn't mean putting lots more ipads or uh, or devices into schools and hoping for the best it really means universal free public access to technology like uh, estonia uh, for example which has really helped its uh, achievement uh, it means thinking hard what is the unique value of the kinds of technologies we're using that cannot be achieved in other ways. So don't use technology for everything. Use it, use it where it uh, makes a difference. And it, it means schools and school systems also thinking about the risks of technology as well as the benefits, things like online addiction, excess screen time, changes in reading habits so that we read shorter things rather than longer things and don't have as much depth, uh, sorting out facts from fake news and uh, being able to discriminate those and so on. So uh, equity and inclusion and well-being, uh, we're, I think we're even more aware of these uh, huge challenges now. And these are now magnified by all the issues surrounding uh, digital technology. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, if we began already uh, talking about the technologies, I want to continue this conversation and try to to open up more. Um, yeah. Because of the COVID-19, uh, a lot of the schools around the world had to move to cyberspace and go to online classes. From your point of view, uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of distant learning? And can they, from your point of view, one day substitute like a teacher and face-to-face -face communication between a teacher and pupils. Uh, thank you, Constantine. I'll, I'll, that's a question that everybody around the world is uh, is asking now. Uh, teachers, school systems, uh, uh, governments, uh, technology companies, not-for-profit foundations, international organizations like the World Bank. I'm in uh, many discussions with groups like these, and this is, this is one of the biggest questions. Uh, I, I think a myth is... Uh, uh, what uh, some people are trying to say is actually technology will replace teachers. Uh, you could access learning anytime, anywhere on your device, uh, whether you're uh, at home, whether you're wandering through the countryside, devices are cheap. Uh, who, needs, who needs teachers? Who needs to spend money on teachers? Uh, who needs governments to put, to put money into teachers and uh, teaching? Well, I think what the coronavirus has taught us really is that we cannot do without physical schools. Um, first of all, we need schools as places for children to go so their parents could go to work it's uh, it's very simple parents can't work if if there's nobody to look after the children at school uh, secondly we know that uh, schools are important as communities for young people's mental health the group that has suffered most during the pandemic has actually in the developed world has been adolescents has been uh, teenagers they've uh, part of growing up as a teenager is developing a sense of your identity of being part of a community of uh, building your aspirations, your sense of who you want to be. And when you're uh, locked up alone, uh, isolated from all the people around you, the mental health consequences are 
enormous. And we've also learned that uh, most parents make very poor substitute teachers. Uh, they, uh, they do their best to help and uh, support the young people with them. But really, you need certified teachers to be able to guide young people through their education. So, so technology, even with the best hopes of the big technology companies, is uh, never going to be a big investment to replace teachers. Technology will never replace teachers, but it will replace teachers who don't use technology. <laughs> and I think that's the really important thing to understand. So during the coronavirus, I think uh, the good news is, is that probably almost every teacher's capability now in every part of the world almost is better with technology than, than it was before. So we can have this discussion at a new level, not about people who can use it, can't use it, uh, like it, don't like it, support it or opposed to it. But we have a new level of competence and confidence with the technology. What technology should be is, is just, um, I don't even like the words hybrid or blended. Uh, because it implies that there's this thing called teaching and learning and this thing called technology. I just think uh, devices need to be part of all the tools available in schools like uh, glue, graph paper, uh, uh, pens, uh, charts, uh, clay, paint, pencils, paper, all the other things. Uh, they should be there and they should be uh, used when they're an advantage and when they make a difference and we should use other things at other times. So I've just published a paper this last week in the London Times, which says what we're learning from the pandemic is actually we need to get more digital on the, on the one hand and uh, really be able to give this universal access when we get back with, with high quality, thoughtful uses of the technology. Uh, and for countries like Denmark and the Nordic countries, we need to get more physical too. So we've learned when children go back to school with social distancing, that uh, those schools where more teaching and learning takes place out of doors uh, can manage those problems more effectively. And we know that learning out of doors is uh, is very good physically. It, it gets the neurons uh, moving. Uh, in Norway, Sweden, Finland, they spend lots of time, uh, lots of time out of doors, just as part of uh, of uh, regular learning. It connects you to nature, which we know is historically of great importance for indigenous communities. So, what's important for indigenous communities is actually helpful for uh, for all communities, and it connects people to the environment and to nature and I think will make everyone more aware of the issues of, uh, of, of, of climate change and uh, the threats we have from global warming. So instead of teaching climate change in a science laboratory or through a textbook or even on a video, get, get young people in their early life connected with, with nature. So we need to be both more digital and, and more and more physical in our education. Both of those are creative. Both of those are connected. They connect people to their world, to their environment, and to each other. Those are the real opportunities. Uh, the drawbacks are, of course, during coronavirus, lots of uses of technology have been an absolute disaster uh, because of uh, uh, poor platforms, unavailable devices, broken devices, uh, lack of capacity or uh, competence, uh, children who can't concentrate, 
trait, parents who can't supervise them. So many, many, many kinds of problems. The, the answer is really to think about how we use this technology, mainly in schools, a little bit out of schools, make it available out of school to, to everybody so they can continue with their learning when they, when they go home. Uh, but really think about how to build the capacity, the confidence and the judgment use it and how to use it so it's at its best mm -hmm. i've now frozen uh, uh yeah you back. were frozen for a little bit and there was some breaking up in the sound but that's okay i can hear you now again uh Good. thank you very much dr hargreaves and i want to continue this conversation but i want to step aside a little bit from technologies uh, because, yes, indeed, uh, the corona time, the pandemic situation in the world uh, helped us to understand that we need to be more advanced in technologies in schools, universities, to be uh, used more uh, to achieve success in study. But I want right now to come from the other side. Uh, yeah. Beside technologies, what about... And it was mentioned a little bit by you, by you that uh, social interaction, socializing, yeah, communication yeah, between yeah. children is also important in the schools. Um, I want to ask right now about human and moral values. How yeah, important yeah. is it right now to raise these questions in the schools? And how is it working in the schools of Canada? Please share with us. Well, I think this is such an important question, Constantine, because uh, we mustn't be obsessed in thinking about reform with thinking only about technical systems and digital systems. At the end of the day, the most important things are human systems, human communities and uh, human values. Uh, I, I think when we come out of uh, COVID-19, it, it will be for some people like coming out of the other side of major wars and major conflicts where People have made sacrifices. Their lives have been turned upside down. They've been living in their heads uh, a lot more. They've uh, had to think about their neighbors and people around them uh, a lot more. I, I think before uh, COVID-19, we, um, we descended really over 40 years into a very largely self-centered uh, approach to education, focusing mainly on uh, maths, uh, literacy, uh, science, uh, achievement, uh, test scores, uh, competition, markets, all of, all of these things. There, there are many exceptions. There are good exceptions in uh, the group of uh, systems that I'm uh, president of, where we bring together their ministers and their teacher union leaders. Our common commitment of all these systems is to... Uh, broad excellence, which includes the arts and creativity, uh, equity, uh, inclusion, uh, well-being, democracy, and human rights. So these systems are really defined by the values and how, and how they're trying to advance them over time. Uh, when we focus on issues like um, peace and uh, inclusion, for example, then uh, th this can begin in many ways. But the, I think the first place many people think about this is in secondary schools. So we can look, for instance, at a program 
that started in uh, in the U.S. and has moved all around the world called Facing History and Ourselves, which teaches people, uh, young people, about genocide, about about the Holocaust, about other kinds of genocide, and then connects that to their uh, experiences of bullying in 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 schools and their. Uh, whether they are a bystander when they see bullying or whether they intervene to stop it. So, so if you like, from the big picture inwards, uh, children are helped to understand how these big issues of conflict and division in the world actually begin in face-to-face -face relationships. And then in Canada, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's another program which focuses on uh, empathy, uh, which has also moved around the world. And that begins with very young children and uh, up to, say, 13 years old. And it just brings a baby into the class every week, sticks it on the table, and, uh, and all the children talk about the baby together. And who could, you know, even the biggest bully in the world, their heart melts when they see, a, who could be angry at a, at a baby? And uh, this program called Roots of Empathy uh, really develops the basic emotional capabilities that enable us to have empathy later with people of uh, different genders, different sexualities, different uh, ethnicities, different races, and so on. So I think you can build it from, from the big picture inwards, or you can uh, build it up from small-scale interaction outwards. Uh, but we know there's evidence that, uh, for instance, in uh, Colombia, there's a program called Escuela Nuevas, and uh, run by Vicky Colbert. She's uh, a, a YIDAM prize winner. That's a $4 million prize for the best educational innovation in the world. And in 1976, she just had a dream that in Colombia, which was driven apart by narcotics and uh, wars and uh, a terrible conflict, that really education could be an answer to this. And now she has 25,000 schools uh, all across the world, mostly in Latin America, but not wholly, that outperform regular schools, according to World Bank data, with similar children, most of them in poor communities, in forests, in jungles, in, in, in the mountains, and uh, so on. And uh, one of their uh, focal points is, uh, is uh, peace. Uh, peace, peace and democracy with in the country through active learning, engaging children with their learning, having a voice in their projects, having some kind of democracy for the students in the school as, as well as for uh, the teachers. So we know this thing is possible. And even in South Korea, I've uh, been there just before the coronavirus started, they have uh, high rates of youth suicide because of the intense historic competition around examinations. And a large group of schools have now decided that they want a movement against this. So I went to their largest province, one of 17 provinces. It's all around uh, the city of Seoul in uh, South Korea. And 1,500 schools, which is uh, a huge proportion of their schools, are now committed to uh, peace, democracy, and inclusion and innovation as a focus of how they run their schools. So uh, I think it is a huge issue. I think it is an issue uh, where change is possible. And I think it's an issue where change has been demonstrated on a considerable scale. Fantastic. I totally agree with you. Uh, I actually asked this question uh, to various people, including ministers of education, former ministers of education from other countries. 
uh, leading experts in the field of education all over the world, uh, they are all saying that uh, one of the biggest uh, issues that we have in education that we are concentrating more on the results of the exams. So we are yeah. increasing that level of passing score, uh, motivating our uh, students to get better grades, uh, better score at the exam, but we forget about very important thing, about the human being, about a child, about yeah. his soul, about his destiny, and that's uh, exactly demonstrates what you've mentioned already in the South Korea when they have a lot of suicides among children because they yeah. couldn't pass or fail at the exam and it, it yeah. resulted to a suicide. Uh, Dr. Hargreaves, you mentioned also about the conflicts uh, several times. Um, from your point of view, um, well, we unfortunately do have a lot of different types of conflicts in the world. We have military conflicts, economic conflicts, yeah. Yeah. Um, national, religious conflicts, you name it. Uh, from your point of view, what is the reason of all conflicts in the world? And can it be solved or resolved through education and moral and human upbringing? They, th this is a huge question, of course, and there's, um, it's hard to remember or recall or identify uh, any period in human history when there's been uh, no conflict. Uh, we, we have conflict when there's scarcity. Uh, so if we uh, look in history at conflict between uh, races, between groups, between countries, uh, 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 sometimes, uh, often, it's, uh, it, 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 it's about scarcity of resources and going on hunting for those resources in other places. Sometimes it's the opposite of scarcity, it's greed. Uh, this is where a lot of imperialism uh, comes from, for example, to conquer other countries, to raid their resources, to, to bring them home. So I, I think uh, the, the basic conditions of uh, scarcity and greed are, are a factor. And then there, then, then there are emotional. Uh, so, so I think the, the less scarcity we have and uh, the less inclined people, the more inclined people are to feel connected to each other um, rather than in competition with each other, then, then the, the, the less likely we are to have conflict. And then so we need possibly the, to uh, substitute competition into cooperation. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think all competition is bad. I think uh, yeah. I think I think the Olympics are okay. Uh, I think uh, I think friendly rivalry is uh, is uh, very good. I I like competition where you know the the competitors actually encourage each other to be at their best, whether you know their schools in a city or sports teams or or whatever they might be. But but I I think we can safely say that historically historically we've if if there's any kind of balance that we that the balance needs to be more about cooperation now and and a, and a bit less about competition i think the other thing is emotional as well which is the um there's uh, a, a lot of my work uh, 20 years ago was on emotions, uh, particularly on the emotions of uh, teaching. My most cited papers are actually on, on emotions. And um, there's, there's a lot of literature about how conflict um, 
uh, war, um, uh, uh, and uh, domestic conflicts, for example, uh, in families or in communities, uh, come out of feelings of shame. That the people have feelings of shame that they're not being understood or recognized or valued or included. And uh, if they're not, um, if people experience humiliation, for instance, uh, in uh, in a community or a school, or they're, they're part of a of, of a group that is stigmatized, then then quite often the result of that humiliation of shame is blame of of other people of actually projecting negative emotions onto onto other groups so this is why it was so important for example in places like south africa and in northern ireland after major conflicts to have processes of not just to try and forget everything but to have processes of truth and reconciliation to acknowledge the problems that have occurred to take responsibility for the problems that have uh, that have occurred and then once we've gone through this process to be able to to move on together uh, afterwards so mm -hmm. uh, actually not human I think a lot of people in the world now, because of inequity and exclusion, feel left out. Uh, they feel uh, they feel left behind. Uh, these are these are racial minorities, but they're also the white poor. And if if we do not address the the issues of poverty uh, in the white community. I am from a white working class background. I've written a memoir of my upbringing in a working class community. My family was on the welfare. I had to raise my family instead of raising them raising me in my, in, in my teenage years. Uh, my community is one of the poorest in the whole of the UK right now, featured on the BBC, where children are tearing open bags of food delivered to their doors because they are so... Uh, in, in, in impossibly hungry. And uh, these communities in the north of England, uh, a kind of marginalized region, uh, feel uh, ignored, left out, left behind, that other agendas have taken over, I think. Uh, from your point of view, love part of his writings, but it also increased in uh, southern Europe. It, uh, of course, after 2008, it, uh, amongst young people, there was the problem there is meaning and purpose and a contribution in your life but but even in places like uh, the, the UK or uh, North America where there's very low employment there's a lot of work the work is not fulfilling it it, uh, uh, it it doesn't have enough pay it doesn't have security and it doesn't have meaning so for instance uh, the highest death rates in the coronavirus have been in nursing homes they've been in they've been in care homes now of course the people there are old and they're frail and they're vulnerable. But the care workers who work in those homes uh, cannot make enough money by working in one home because the homes do not belong to the state. The homes belong to private companies that, that make a profit. So the workers are, are not unionized. They're not, they're not cared for. So they have to work between two and three different care homes. And so, and so the care workers are actually moving the virus around between the care homes. And they don't have a feeling of attachment or belonging to any particular care home that they're in because they quickly have to move from one to the other. And this is what a lot of workers 
become like? Uh, uh, the automation of work has made work uh, less less interesting. So some people say, bad luck, that's capitalism, that is progress. Uh, robots will take over our cars, will take over our uh, production lines, uh, uh, hard lines. Well, the truth is, is fr from the robotization of work, uh, some people, like the corporate tech billionaires, are now the richest people in the world. Uh, they have uh, profits that exceed the GDP of uh, many uh, European uh, countries, uh, for example. And they hide their taxes. So you'll see, to come back to my opening theme, one of the biggest moves that we will make in the next few years is to tax wealth uh, rather, than, rather than to mainly tax income. And, and if we tax wealth, and it's okay for people to make wealth, but then to share it, you can move that money back into the, uh, into the economy and into public life. One thing we know is that if you have a strong government, uh, a, a big government with lots of public employment, uh, that does uh, three things. It makes you better protected as a society, uh, and and it's a place where you can bring together those public moral values that you that you talked about. Uh, uh, secondly, we know that in public life rather than private life, it's a it's an easier path for upward mobility for people from poverty. They're not dependent on privileged networks to find them a job in a financial company or a bank or a tech company, but but they can. Uh, move up solely by their merits and by their achievement. So it creates more equity and more opportunity. And, and third is it, it creates jobs and it creates money, which goes into the economy so people can buy things and, and so on. And if you move that money into the public sector or, or to fund initiatives like uh, vocational initiatives, craft initiatives, um, these and to support them, that these uh, jobs uh, like, for instance, uh, carpentry or furniture making, m might not manage to make a profit by themselves. But with support that is moved in the economy, then I think this kind of vocational education can, can really develop, uh, enable people to make a living with some support, to find meaning in work, to experience a contribution to society. So I, I think the, the first thing is, is, is really to think much harder about how we organize our economic and public life so that everybody feels meaning in their work, feels like they're making a contribution and, um, and experiences community while they're doing that. And that brings in the second part, uh, which is to love, which is to have relationships, uh, to work with people, not mainly to be working by yourself. I think one thing we've all found very hard during coronavirus is living this Zoom life, not really having the kind of relationships in our, in, in our work life that we that we normally have so they, these are really the two big areas to think about and i don't think it's inevitable that technology automation and robotization will destroy the meaning of work we need simply to think differently as a society about how we redistribute the resources so that people can still work still have meaning and still make a contribution Yes, uh, let me make a little conclusion here. So the most important thing, as I understand, is the development of human potential, is investment into oh. people, investment into the development and open up our 
uh, personal and professional potential for the benefit of the whole society. Because from the whole conversation, I am making a conclusion for myself that in order to step on the new level of society evolution, we need to invest more into the human development and rather than profit over company sure. or uh, sure. you know, uh, increasing the GPD and so on. Go ahead. Uh, Am I right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the key thing is, though, to understand that um, a few years ago, Michael Fullan and I wrote a book called Professional Capital. And uh, professional capital is a very simple idea. If you want to get a reward, you have to make an investment. If you want to get good results from people, you have to invest in people. Part of that is human capital, which is investing in the individuals, in human potential, as you say. An even bigger part of that is social capital, and that's about who we are together rather than than who we are alone. Uh, cooperation is a big part of that. But to go back to something we talked about before, in creativity, so too is conflict uh, to, to some degree. Uh, not the conflict of people, not the conflict of uh, winners and losers, but the conflict of ideas, uh, the, the, the conflict of uh, different ways of uh, thinking about things in order to try and solve uh, the enormous problems that, 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 that face our world over time. And uh, my colleague Dennis Shirley and I have uh, just put to press a book on uh, on uh, student engagement, and uh, and one of the things we're saying there is that um, when you're really engaged in learning, you're not always happy. Uh, sometimes you're frustrated. Uh, so sometimes you suffer. Uh, so sometimes uh, you're angry with yourself or with the problem or ask any Olympic athlete, ask any performing artist. There are things I find really hard, really uh, challenging. So as we release human potential, uh, the issue is not just to make everybody happier and, uh, and, and, and comfortable. Of course, we don't want to make people miserable. The, the, the point is for people to have uh, enjoyment and for people to have fulfillment and f fulfillment is to connect the creative side to the social side is fulfillment is 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 the feeling that you are in your own skills and your own life becoming the master of something the master of something uh difficult challenging it might be swimming it might be climbing it might be mathematics it might be a uh, woodwork it uh, but 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 really developing a a sense that in in some area of life uh, there's this thing that you can do that feels extraordinary. Uh, I'm a pool player uh, with, um, you know, cues and uh, tables, and uh, there's nothing that feels better than when I can perform uh, a great trick shot and swerve the ball around the ball in front of me and, and put the ball behind it into the pocket. There's nothing better than uh, bending a free kick uh, round, round a defensive wall and into the top corner of the goal. So sometimes this has no social purpose at all it's just the feeling of mastering something difficult that is that is hard work 
and uh, gives you a great sense of accomplishment at the end. But the other part of it is is feeling that uh, by unleashing this this potential, uh, that that you are also really making a contribution to something important and significant in the world, and that the work you do and the things you have mastery of uh, actually benefit the lives of of other people uh, around you. And uh, if you experience both those, if you experience both those things. Your life will have absolute joy. Thank you. Fantastic. Dr. Howard Reeves, um, I want to come back to the education, but still ask the question about the society. Uh, let's say uh, you have an opportunity, and you have economic opportunity, uh, political, uh, other opportunities to create a righteous society. What aspects? Would you begin with, and what education will be like in this society? Uh, well, uh, the answer is always is to begin with where you are, and uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I can write and I can talk, and uh, 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 talk is not irrelevant. Talk uh, brings people down from suicide attempts. Uh, talk can. Uh, I uh, uh, many years ago I, I saw three men beating a woman in the street, and uh, I have no physical skills or uh, fighting skills. You know, I want, but I have words, and I was able to come upon them, and with the right words said in the right way at the right volume, uh, was actually surprised them, so the woman who was being beaten can can get away. So uh, words words do make a big difference in in life. Words are what I have, and words are what I can work with that is my platform uh, but if you're uh, a teacher in uh, a school your platform is is what you do with your children right here right now irrespective of the policies that are going on around you how if the principal the director of your school you feel is going in the wrong direction how do you lead up how how do you sometimes challenge the principal how do you have a little bit of courage how do you mobilize uh, people around you to change the things to improve the things that can improve the life for you for you and your children and i think when you have children uh in your school not everybody can be a nelson mandela vaclav havel or a or a or a mother Teresa, for example but um uh, but, but there are opportunities in in every community in how you treat the environment in how you make your parents aware of things that they may not have been aware of uh, before so good way to get into parents actually is is to get to the children mm -hmm. uh, one last question that I'd like to ask before we are going to make a conclusion unfortunately I, I do have actually much more questions that I would like to address and sure. if you don't mind we would you know talk more during the next interview and I would be happy to ask you more questions uh, please uh, share with us your vision, ideal education, or education of the future. Can you describe it, please? Well, in, in 2009, we wrote a book called The Fourth Way of Educational Change. And people thought we were crazy. They thought the book was interesting, but it was crazy. And it was really uh, about 
fundamental moral purposes around uh, a democracy, inclusion, equity, uh, human rights. It was around principles of professionalism. So uh, how would teachers uh, need to be? How, how do we help our teachers be what in North America we call the first responders? So when there's a crisis, they could be like firefighters. They don't have to have seven levels of permission in order to do the things they know they need to do. But how can they exercise their judgments for the children they know best as a, as a collective, continuously learning community? So what is the profession like? And third is what is the system like that makes all that uh, possible. So the top doesn't micromanage. It uh, it steers. It says, "Look, we're we're elected. We're a government. So we're going to go this way. We're, we're going to go this way. We're not going to go that way. And we're going to give you some resources. And we're going to give you some support. But basically, it's the people closer to the action who together need to help each other to achieve these uh, moral ends that we think are important." In two thousand and nine, uh, actually, our our publisher, when they got our manuscript, wouldn't publish it. Uh, they, they said our, a lot of our readers who are school administrators won't be able to accept this. Now it's completely normal. It's completely normal. And the group of countries we have in ARC, the, the Atlantic Rim, uh, are all committed to these values. Not because of me. I haven't moved the world. But, 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 but the world has, in a way, moved a bit closer to where we were in, in 2009. So I think more of the world is thinking about those uh, core values for uh, every child when they go through school and, and leave school. They experience engagement. They have a love of learning. They, they have uh, respect and empathy for other people uh, around them. Uh, they, they feel they can uh, have the skills and confidence to make a contribution in life through, through their work and through their relationships. And, and the, they can feel committed to action, to doing things in, in whatever sphere they can uh, affect. And uh, not just, not only to uh, talking about things or, or having discussions and so on. And if, if we can have that in life, I think we'll have uh, better people and uh, we'll have better societies. And we'll, we'll have less rather than more of the kind of conflict we talked about at the beginning. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, Dr. Hargreaves, we have a tradition in the end of the interview to ask our uh, speakers to recommend two or better three people we could contact on your behalf so we could continue the conversation about the Creative Society and education. Can you please name, a couple of names at least, please, uh, with whom we can contact and continue this dialogue? Uh, I could. This is uh, something I was not uh, ready for at the end of this uh, uh, conversation. Uh, but, but one thing I would uh, definitely do is, uh, is, is ask you to uh, talk to uh, 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 people who are not from, from uh, perhaps the developed world, but from the less developed uh, world. So I would recommend uh, Vicky Colbert, who's the director of Escuela Nueva and the Yidan Prize uh, winner. She's a phenomenal uh, educator who has 
made a real difference in 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 the world. Uh, I I would talk to uh, Jonathan Jansen uh, from South Africa. Uh, he was the first black dean at the University of Pretoria after apartheid. Uh, he's extremely uh, he's very morally driven and uh, very famous in South Africa. Uh, and all over the world, actually, and is totally unpredictable. He will give you many answers you would not expect. And uh, so I'll, I'll leave it with that. Uh, and perhaps one third one is Ang uh, Pak Tee from uh, the National Institutes of Education in Singapore, who's written the best book about... Uh, uh, which is not just complementary, it uh, raises the problems as well as the uh, benefits of, if you like, Southeast Asian uh, education systems and uh, how they're thinking about uh, creativity and uh, all the other human values that we've discussed today. So that's Vicky Colbert, uh, Jonathan Jansen, and uh, Patty Ung, and I have all their emails if you want to get yes, them from please. me later on. Yes. Yes, please. Thank you very much, Dr. Hargreaves. And um, right now, I want also to invite you for the conference that we're going to have uh, this Sunday on the 20th of December. And I'm asking, please, our technical uh, support to run the video, please, about the conference. Please switch it on. Every day. We share a great amount of information. This information forms our reality. Is this the way we wish to live? We need change. The change starts with us, with the information we share. Consumer society leads us to death. We need a new vector of life, a creative society. It is up to you and me to build a creative society worldwide where human life is the main value. Development of humanity is the main aim. Human safety is the main priority. Is it possible to build a creative society now? Yes. All we need to do is unite in one common idea. A creative society. People around the world are already acting to share the idea of creative society with the whole world to make it a reality. Learn how on the unique international online conference, Creative Society, United We Can, December 20, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, live on Alatra TV. You are the one who can change the future.
Dr. Hargreaves, thank you very much for this fantastic conversation today. And I'm really hoping that we would have one more interview with you when I would be able to ask you more questions about education, about the creative society, and about the future of education. Thank you very much for this Perfect. wonderful talk today. Thank you, sir. Thank you, and good luck with your conference. Thank you, sir. Uh, dear friends, if you would like to know more about the Project Creative Society, we're inviting you to visit our website, which is called alatraunites.com. Right now, you can see it on your screens. Uh, you can join it. Uh, in the top right corner, there is a button, Join Us. Uh, after that, there is a short form that you can fill out and send the information to us. Thank you once again for watching us today, and see you soon again on Alatra TV. Good luck.